When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, folks. This episode of Luke's English Podcast is sponsored by italki, a service that makes it really, really easy to find one-to-one teachers to help you develop your spoken fluency, your grammatical accuracy, your pronunciation. It's very simple. You go onto italki, you, you search through all the different teachers that they have and check out all the details. You can see introductory videos where they talk to you on video. You can schedule cheaper and shorter trial lessons. And when you find the person that's right for you, you can arrange some lessons very very easily it's all done through your computer and all done with skype or similar software and when you buy some talking time italki will then send you a voucher uh, because you listen to this podcast okay uh, to get the offer you need to use my url which is teacherluke.co.uk slash talk or click an italki logo on my website You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to Luke's English Podcast. This is your regular opportunity to practice your listening and develop your knowledge of British English culture. This is episode 637, and this is the first of a three-part series about quintessentially British things that you might not know about. Now, you might be wondering what the word quintessential means. So this is a word that's often used in front of places, nationalities or cultures. For example, a quintessentially English summer, which I suppose would be a summer where it just rains all the time. He's the quintessential New Yorker. So I suppose that would be like a guy who's sort of street smart and he kind of goes into some kind of... uh, uh, deli place and he goes hey give me a bagel you know hold the mayo or something and then he's like ordering coffee and walking down the street going hey i'm walking here he's the quintessential new yorker or another example five signs that you're quintessentially canadian which is like one of those articles with a quiz in it to work out just how polite you are and the more polite you are the more canadian you are basically So, okay, quintessentially British or quintessentially English is a common one. There are lots of articles and quizzes online to work out if you are quintessentially British, and they all contain typical examples of Britishness, like cups of tea, Mr. Bean, social awkwardness, the weather, and so on. So, quintessential means a typical example of something, a thing which seems to be a perfect, unique example of something specific, like, for example, a food which is uniquely British and is a great example of Britishness. So, what would be quintessentially British food? Well, you probably think, well, fish and chips, maybe. As I said, there are plenty of articles about quintessentially British things online, but they always deal with the same tired old stereotypes of Englishness or Britishness that we've heard a million times and don't 
always just apply to the UK. For example, here's an article from uh, BT, which is British Telecom. used to be Britain's kind of national telecoms company. Now it's a private company. And for some reason, they've published this thing, which is 25 things that will prove if you're quintessentially English or not. Let's quickly go through this list just to get all the usual stereotypes and cliches out of the way first. Uh, Let's see if I can actually access this. Hold on a second. Okay, so 25 things that will prove if you're quintessentially English or not. We'll fly through this list just to get all of the cliches out of the way. Number one, talking about the weather. Oh, it's a miserable day. Oh, it's turned out nice again. Yes, we do talk about the weather a lot. Eating fish and chips. There you go, number two in the list. I mean, I don't eat it that often. I can't remember the last time I ate fish and chips. Maybe maybe because I live in France. But my brother says he has it maybe once a month, once every couple of weeks. It's normally a sort of Friday evening kind of thing. Number three, indulging in Sunday roasts. Yeah, we do like to have like roast beef, roast chicken, or something like roast lamb on a Sunday afternoon. Putting the kettle on when the going gets tough, which means when things get difficult or tricky, you have a cup of tea in order to just solve all your problems. Number five, drinking copious amounts of tea, basically drinking loads of tea. I don't think we're the only ones. Um, Number six, being great at queuing. Uh, We are quite good at queuing, so that often comes up. Number seven, apologising unnecessarily. For example, when someone bumps into you, oh, sorry, and they say sorry to you and then everything's okay. Number eight, a love of pubs. Yes, we do like to go to the pub. Fancy a pint, you know. Uh, Number nine, bacon butties, which is basically bacon, fried bacon in bread of some kind. Like, could be be just bread, could be a bum. A bum? No. (laughs) Could be in bread, could be in a bun. You know, bacon butty. It's basically like a bacon sandwich. Uh, Number 10, keeping a stiff upper lip, which is like keeping your emotions in check at all times. Number 11, being patriotic and proud of where you live, which I think is not something exclusive to the English or the British. I think everyone feels fairly proud of where they live, don't they? Number 12, calling dinner time tea time. Well, some people in the UK do call their dinner time tea time. I think up north especially. Number 13, having a witty sense of humour. Oh, it's British humour. Number 14, preparing for failure every World Cup, which I think is probably fair to say we haven't won anything since 1966. Enjoying a good bargain. Well, everyone enjoys a good bargain, getting a good price for something, I think. Number 16, speaking English when abroad, uh, but using it very loudly and very slowly. Certainly we do when we go abroad and we try and talk to uh, non-native speakers. One of the normal things is just to repeat what you've said, but just say it louder. Um, I think that's fair enough. Number 17, a love of a good moan. So apparently we like complaining. The Australians say that uh, the Brits like to complain a lot. Whinging, they call us whinging poms. Number 18, a fondness for fry-ups. So that's like a sort of Saturday morning or Sunday morning breakfast where you just fry everything. Fried bacon, fried sausage, fried tomato, fried mushrooms, fried black pudding, fried bread. We even fry the bread as well. Uh, enjoying gardening. Well, we are a nation of gardeners, but I'm sure it's, we're not the only ones. A civilised afternoon tea. Yes, we, we'll drink tea at any time of day, but there is such a thing as the afternoon tea sort of ceremony thing. 21, being overly polite. I feel like we've already had that one. 22, to, uh, talking about the journey or traffic. It can't just be us, can it? Oh, isn't the traffic terrible? Blah, blah, blah. I'm sure it's not just us. Number 23, dedication to watching a TV soap series for years. Yes, like EastEnders or Coronation Street, probably. Uh, Number 24, doing DIY on a bank holiday. DIY is do-it-yourself. That's like fixing stuff in your own home. So DIY. 
And I mean, it must be everyone else, right? But we do have bank holidays, these Mondays where it's, you know, a designated public holiday. So it might be a day when you kind of do some stuff at home. And 25, putting on summer clothes and sunglasses at the first glimpse of sunshine. Certainly um, um, in the UK, we will jump out into the sunshine and maybe take the T-shirt off and just expose ourselves to as much of those UV rays as possible because we, you know, don't don't get that much sun. So there you go. That's bt.com's 25 things that will prove if you're quintessentially English or not. Let's go back to the page for the episode. So, but in this series of episodes, I wanted to scratch below the surface of British culture a bit and talk about some perhaps less known things. We all know about the cliches, but what if we go a bit deeper and hear from some English people about their favourite aspects of their culture, be it modern pop stuff, history, literature or geography? So I decided to ask my mum, my dad and my brother to think of some typically British things for us to talk about on the podcast. So that's what you're going to get. Hopefully some revealing conversation about a diverse range of British cultural items, but also some good recommendations of other stuff that you can check out in your own time which could help with your English. So let's get started then with this episode with James, my brother. This is quite a long one but stick with it. I asked him to choose five quintessentially British things. The next two episodes are shorter as we deal with just three things each but this time it's five and this is what happened and you should know that there is some sporadic swearing throughout this conversation so bear that in mind depending on who you're listening to this with. Check out the page for this episode on the website to see loads of videos and links for the five things that we talk about. Okay James. Hello. So, have you picked five things? I have. They're slightly random. I don't know if they're necessarily quintessential or not, although I know that was the the idea. They're just things that I think are quite cool or f- fun or mm. just nice or... <laughs> not the usual Yeah, slightly, slightly different. And um, they're not really... I haven't given it a huge amount of thought, if I'm completely <laughs> honest. <laughs> well, listeners, we're not presenting ourselves as experts here i'm certainly not an expert on any of these subjects they're just little things that i just thought oh that'd be cool to talk about things that that we like and things that we are happy to talk about and things that we would like to share with uh, yeah. my listeners yeah things and, that things that deserve a little oh that's quite that's all i'm hoping for is a oh that's it as a, as a minimum <laughs> yeah as a base level just a mild just a kind of, oh, oh. Hmm. Yeah. Ah, mm. but uh, above well, that—that's quite ambitious. Really, even aiming for well, a, even oh. to get a huh. a hurt is okay, but because mm. mm. that's some, quite that's quite a big thing. I think some people will be going mm, at this point. <laughs> <laughs> that, no, that's slightly different. Really, that's anticipatory. Well, some people are anticipating. What are these five things? You're being weird now. Okay, well... For You're twiddling an imaginary moustache, That's not, one thing. It's not being weird. Okay. Twiddling an imaginary moustache and... Interesting, <laughs> 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 hmm. I can't wait to find... Okay, so, we're not presenting ourselves as experts. These are just five things that we'd quite like to talk about that maybe the listeners don't know about. And if they do find out about these things, they could bring joy and pleasure to their lives. And also, they could find out a little bit more about 
you know, English stuff that's beyond the, just the usual cliches like fish and chips and Mr. And Bean. I have to admit, I honestly thought these were all British things. And then, because I kind of don't really just see myself as English. I see myself as British, really, I suppose. Although this is a bit of a minefield. Mm. But um, it's not like I specifically chose English things. They just happen to be. Okay. I don't but, know but what I, that means. Well, my remit for you was five British things. Yeah. And the five things you've chosen are all actually English things. So it's worth just mentioning that Welsh people, Irish people in Northern Ireland, Scottish people might be thinking, excuse me, pal, they're all English things in an, in an accent that they would have. <laughs> um, I do think of myself as British, but it happened to be that the things I picked were actually English. So we thought... Shall we say British things or should we say English things? I still don't know. I still don't know whether it depends on. You haven't decided what the episode. I still don't know what this episode is going to be called. It might be called Five Quintessentially English Things That You Might Not Know About, or it might be Five Quintessentially British Things That You Might Not Know About, or I might think "Ah, if I put the word quintessentially in the title, then that might put people off because they don't know the word, or maybe that will be a reason. What you know. Do you think the word quintessentially is going to make people listen or make people not listen? Ooh, I think you'll lose as many people as you'll gain, so it evens out. Okay. <laughs> it's hard to know, isn't it? You know, it's hard to, it's hard to tell. <coughs> Certain words, though, tend to attract more attention from an audience. I don't know if quintessentially is one of those ones, but it might be. They might go, hmm, <laughs> this is a big word. It's not a word I ever use myself, but... Um you hear it a lot on telly and in articles and things, don't you? Let's start with your first thing. Okay, my first one is um, a writer called Alan Moore. Alan Moore. Who's most known for writing comics in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to admit, I didn't actually follow him until quite recently. So you didn't kind of you didn't know about Alan Moore because of his comic books? Not really. I mean, I had read some of them. But I wasn't really a fan as such. I didn't really know mm-hmm. much yeah. about him until maybe 10 years ago, a bit longer. 10, between 10 and 15, 20 years ago. I think it was probably YouTube that... Quite possibly. Yeah. And also friends of mine had mentioned him to me. I'd read Watchmen, uh-huh. which was his, his, his most famous comic series, which came out as a book. Um, and I'd also read what's the Batman one, the killing joke, mm-hmm. which I was a fan of, but I didn't really follow him as I didn't really, wasn't really aware of him okay. until a bit more recently Can we- as a person. But, um, he's a, a comic book writer that actually end up giving up comics. Um, and he's gone into novels and, uh, he does, talks and he writes and he's just a general interesting guy had so, so um okay let, maybe, he's actually just done his last comic okay which was a kind of farewell to comics uh, really his last ever comic. yeah it's like a self-produced kind of um i guess fairly small run of the league of extraordinary gentlemen Okay. Now, listeners, if you don't know about Alan Moore, you might know some of the films that have been made based on his comic books. And I think it's fair to say that Alan Moore doesn't like almost any of those films. He 
he always said they weren't designed to be films, they were designed to be comics. Mm-hmm. And although early on, I think he gave up the rights to a lot of his stuff. And when he started to see the results, I think he completely disowned it. I don't know what the legal situation is or the money or whatever. I have mm-hmm. no idea. I think he just gave up the rights voluntarily because as a writer in those days, you didn't really own your own characters. You were working for a bigger publisher. This is my understanding. I may be wrong. Yeah. And the publisher ultimately owned the rights anyway. And so if the publisher chose to sell those rights to a film production <clears throat> yeah, company... Yeah, there was very little you could do about it, I believe. Alan, um, but he could have been more involved, but he chose not to be, I think, because he didn't like the medium. He think, you know, which is fair enough. Can, I, can we just be... And he claims that he's never seen any of the films of his books, which is very strange Okay, to me. I could never do that. I'd be... Uh, too curious. Too curious. Okay. Can I just be really clear, just, just to help those listeners who, you know, obviously, not just those listeners, but all the listeners who don't speak English as a first language. Let's just be really clear about this. So, Alan Moore, uh, writer of uh, primarily comic books, but now he's gone into other things like... Um, novels. Novels. And also he's a public speaker and just a very interesting person. Um, let's just have a look at some of his most famous um, work in comic books. The Watchmen... V for Vendetta, The Ballad of Halo Jones, Swamp Thing. Did he create Swamp Thing? Is yeah. He, he's created Swamp Actually, no, he didn't. He took over the character, I think. Or did he? Anyway. I don't know. Batman. That's the bit I'm not sure on his early stuff. He did The Killing Joke, which is a um, a, a series Famous of... kind of graphic novel now. Graphic novel, a Batman graphic novel. And also From Hell. Oh, uh, that's amazing. I'd forgotten about that one. Now... I have read that. I, I almost all of those comics have been turned into films. Listeners, you might know Watchmen, V for Vendetta. V for Vendetta is like very famous now because of and the inspired, the, yeah, the mask, which, uh, which is the Guy Fawkes mask. Guy Fawkes being yeah a, a Catholic. Uh, we could call him a terrorist. Um, he has been called a terrorist, a Catholic uh, guy in the seventeenth century. It was the 17th century, I think, yeah. who uh, attempted to uh, blow up the Houses of Parliament and kill the king. And but it might have been a fit-up. Maybe. It's hard to tell, but it's, it's a bit of a myth almost now. But um, Guy Fawkes, yes. Is, um, but he got, uh, that mask got adopted by the anonymous movement, is it? Yeah, so... In or the, the hackers or something? Or? In, in the comic book, one of the characters wears a mask, uh, a Guy Fawkes mask, and that mask now has been appropriated, yes, by the anonymous movement. Or is it anarchist movement? It's anonymous. It's anonymous. <laughs> so he does always joke about the fact that that mask is owned by... Everyone. Warner Brothers. Oh, is it? Or one of these big corporations which makes a good profit off everyone they sell. But the point is that the anonymous mask you may have seen uh, being worn at protests, like p- uh, public protests. Um, anyway, right? I don't know too much about that side of things, to be honest. Uh huh. So what is it then that you like about Alan Moore? Why did you choose him as the first person on your list? He's just a good writer. And he's, a, he's really good to watch talk as well. He's a sort of bit of a thinker. He's a bit of a... Uh, He's into weird shit, and he's mm-hmm. he's just an interesting dude. He's just a kind of crazy. Well, not crazy. He's very sane. Uh, interesting psychedelic bloke. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about some of the ideas that he has talked about that have uh, that have stayed with you. 
Well, the first one I would have read was Watchmen, and I don't remember it too well, I'm afraid. But the the idea with Watchmen is it's treating superheroes as if they actually were real in the real world. Okay. And what would happen. And basically, they'd be politicised. Mm-hmm. And some of them would be, like, co-opted by governments, or some of them would be... They'd be asked to take sides. And there'd be all these ethical debates about should they intervene in world affairs should they stand back some of them would be so racked with these problem these ethical problems they wouldn't be able to act they'd be sort of impotent mm. some of them would you know would just sort of have a breakdown mm-hmm. some of them <laughs> the pressure some of them of, would be seen as propaganda figures yeah and it's just a fascinating way to look at the idea of well it's kind of it's looking at society i suppose as well but it's just saying okay if superheroes were real what would really happen so it's a kind of against the idea that like to an extent superhero films and i'm i'm a fan of the avengers and and all that stuff but uh, a, a criticism of those works is that they allow us to kind of um put aside a lot of those ethical dilemmas that they essentially allow us to live out certain fantasies where the characters yeah, are just good and evil and, the, and the characters are sort of perfect and and all powerful and it allows us to kind of live out a kind of fantasy really yeah and that, that it's not really the real world that it's somehow a bad thing because it doesn't aid reality the, the real world that we live in that they are just pure fantasy um uh, like um uh what's the word i'm looking for uh disneyland uh, amusement rides and yeah. just an escape from reality. So his uh, idea with, with Watchmen was to, yeah, actually bring superheroes back into the real world and to show how they, yeah, they would be impotent figures because of the all the ethical dilemmas that they'd well, be Some of them by. would and some of them wouldn't and this, it would be, yeah. Crazy. Be, I, can't, I don't remember it too clearly. Okay. And I haven't seen the film either, so... Well, he, that's, the, that's the extent of my knowledge. I think, as we've already said, he, he's kind of disowned the film versions of his work. Yeah. Um, v for Vendetta, have you read that? Uh, I've never read V for Vendetta. I saw the film, uh, but I haven't read the, the comic no, book. I haven't, I haven't really either. read many of his books. Um, I've, I've, uh, I think I've started reading Killing from Joke. I mean, it's worth pointing out that he works with artists. He's not the, the artist. He's not the uh, the guy that does all the drawings and stuff in these comics. He just does the stories. I tell you which ones I have read and that I really enjoyed were the the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah, which was turned into a film with Sean Connery in it. Yeah, uh, but the yeah the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is is pretty brutal, and it it takes these um, sort of classic figures from uh, horror literature, like for example Dracula, Frankenstein, um, and others, and sort of puts them in the group together but they're like for example the invisible man is a total psychopath <laughs> and he's horrible he's an awful awful person and it's it's quite an interesting um uh, quite uh vi- violent and horrible um set of people and it, it's it, it's an interesting sort of um steampunk kind of um yeah adventure um the but killing joke i've read the batman f- f- uh, story and I don't remember it too well. It's basically the Batman versus the Joker. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a kind of a battle of... And the Joker's completely insane. And he's trying to drag Batman down. And it's just like a battle of wills. But it's really nicely drawn. by I think it's guy, this guy called Brian Bolland. Or maybe he just did the cover. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But it's 
I don't know if this is a bit of a spoiler, but it's like a loop. Yeah, don't the, spoil, uh, don't spoil just, the plot. I just did. It's not a plot spoiler, but if you look at the first and the last frame... Of the of comic. The killing joke. Yeah. They're the same. So it's just, it repeats. History yeah, repeats Yeah, and there's itself. lots of these spiral motifs throughout. It's kind of like a spiral of madness. Yeah. And just when you get to the end, you realise that's the same frame as you started with. So the, 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 it's the, a little I, mind game. It's a bit like the idea that revenge, you know, just it's the cycle of violence that uh, violence I be- don't know. It, it brings forth more violence, and that there's no end to it. That it's just like one thing because, like Batman, is a vigilante fighting for revenge, but in doing that, he becomes a monster. And then, you know, it's just sort of like that cycle. Um, But in terms of his interviews, and we're going to move on to point two very soon. In terms of the interviews, because for me, I I love uh, listening to Alan Moore talking. Yeah, he's great, isn't he? Yeah. And there are lots of really good videos of him on YouTube and also podcast episodes with him. There's a series that French TV channel did with him that you should link to them all at the Mm -hmm. bottom of this because Mm -hmm. they're really interesting ideas. And he talks about how superheroes are kind of a fascist concept, which I don't really understand, but... Mm-hmm. I'll go with him, and he's got all these interesting theories about time. I read his. I'm sort of about quarter of the way, no, but maybe a third of his way through his new book, which is called Jerusalem. How many pages are there in that book? Too many. It's, it's a, huge. It's one of the longest books ever written. Apparently, I'm up. Well, there's oh, more than twelve hundred, thirteen hundred pages, and the, the print is actually very small. It's it's not like big letters. They're quite twelve eighty nine. 12,889 pages. So a very, very, very thick, dense book. Uh, But but his theories about time is that time is... I mean, he bases this on actual scientific research or Mm -hmm. theories, anyway, Mm -hmm. scientific theories, that time could be a solid... That, uh, so, a solid if like. You look at it from a distance. Wait, a solid like we've got solid liquid and gas. Well, everything that's ever happened, right, mm-hmm. is absolutely fixed. It does not change. That you can't go back and change what's occurred. Well, what's occurred will always have occurred. It, al- it will always have occurred, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It okay. will always forever have occurred. So it's fixed, absolutely fixed. Mm hmm. Which kind of leads some people to think, well, if the shape of it suggests that the future would be fixed as well. Okay, yeah. And that really it's just a massive calculation. And that seen from another another angle, you see it as time because of the way you where you are in it. If you could step, if you could step back from that slightly, you'd see it's a. You'd need to be able to see into another dimension, basically, which we can't, we can't do. Pretty crazy deep stuff. The fourth dimension is time. Uh-huh. And in his book, Jerusalem, there's lots of stuff about... It's kind of fun uh, fantasy as well. It's not mm-hmm. too serious. It's written around characters and real people, and it moves from the present time to the past to a kind of another world of uh, above time. Or it's called Upstairs. Yeah, it's deep. It's this far out. sounds really complicated. And from that place, you can see time as a solid. <laughs> I'm really not explaining it time very well. Time as a solid. Okay, all right. That's just one idea. But, let's, uh, go, let's go on to some other ones. Tell me about 
uh, and this is the last thing we're going to do on Alan Moore before we move on, move on to number two because uh, time is, a, is a, even though time is a solid yeah you're right uh, it's certainly going for to for us it's definitely real it's whether good. it's not real for the, for everyone in the yeah universe. we don't want it to be too much of a solid in this episode uh, but watch loads of his videos basically. okay but I wanted and, you to um, talk about the idea of magic and art oh yeah 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 he's like his thing is he's become a magician and as soon as you say that you have to actually follow it through otherwise you can look like a real dick if you say you're a magician... But he means real magician, not just a conjurer, not just a sort of, you know, theatrical magician, but not, an actual magician. Not just someone who does card tricks, but someone who does actual, real magic, he Yeah, says. but he, basically you have to think about what magic means. And that means a combination... Well, you could put it as a lot of things, but one way of looking at it is a combination of, like, words, music, and... Casting a spell, making someone feel something different without touching them. Mm-hmm. So without touching them, I could give you a piece of paper or play you a bit of music that would change the way you feel mm-hmm. and could make you feel uplifted or make you feel unhappy. Or That's kind of what a spell is. And he basically equates magic to being art. Mm-hmm. Magic, they used to call it the dark arts or the arts. Yeah. And it's just art itself. Yes. So you can also apply it to things like advertising. That's a form of magic because it's very cleverly using a combination of many different elements to make you feel something. And to, to persuade you to do something. To persuade you to do something. Yeah, to compel you to do something without, yeah. you, without you even realising you're compelled yeah, to do Yeah, that's, and that's pure magic mm-hmm. in Alan's book. And the more you think about it, the more you're like, yeah, it's true. So if you're an artist, you're a magician in yeah. a sense. Yeah, and yeah. it's as simple as that, really. Mm-hmm. As soon as you see it like that, you're like, yeah, of course it's magic. It's a bit like how people used to think of language. People used to think of language yeah. as being like ma- magical. I mean, people well. used to, to, to cast a spell used to mean the same thing as to be able to spell. To spell. To spell words. So you could part, you could, it's like another dimension. You can write, you can express yourself on paper right. and you can pass that information on and it'll last. Mm. Written, so you're written, writing a spell is the same as spelling itself. I see. I see. So being able to write is like magic. We could do a whole episode on Alan Moore and his ideas and listening to, to clips. That's of him just a, a taster for you. And he's also funny. He's very funny, yeah. It wouldn't be any... All of this would be boring if he wasn't funny. Just two more things. Three more things. What does he look like? He looks like a wizard. What? Tell, <laughs> tell us more. He's got long, grey, frizzy hair and a mm-hmm. um, big beard. Yeah. Massive Grey beard and his crazy looking eyes. Boggly eyes. Yeah, and he kind of stares into the camera sometimes. And I've been to see him uh, sort of talk, lecture thing, Mm -hmm. and he was really good at that. And he's also got a very friendly sort of Northampton Northampton accent. Which is a very sort of of soft northern slash Birmingham accent. Mm, Yeah, he's from Northamptonshire. So it's kind of quite nice voice to listen to. Yeah. And you start to go, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's fantastic. And you sort of become hypnotised by him. He's, it's just wonderful to listen to him in that Northamptonshire accent, which, as we said, is a very specific region. It's kind of a mix of sort of, you know, it's northern, but it's Midlands. And, and he's kind of spooky, but he's also friendly. Yeah. He's great. He's, he's absolutely great. I totally agree with you adding him to the list. And I cool. think that the listeners should check out some of his videos. We'll be putting videos on the page for this episode on the website. So you can check them out uh, at your own uh, convenience. convenience. Thank you. Moving on then. What's, what have you chosen as I British thing number two? We're going to go with Viz Comic. 
Oh, excellent choice. Viz, which is spelt V-I-Z, and it is a comic. Let's go here, Wikipedia. We're okay. using Wikipedia, We're folks. such professionals here. But it's information that's available to everybody, so you could also check the Wikipedia page for Viz to find out more. I think, th- I think that it's... It's, we just want the raw facts, so this will do. We're I not going to copy any more, uh, what's the word? Content. I support this. Wikipedia. I've donated to them twice. Good lad. I use Wikipedia. I know that there's all this stuff about, well, you know, some of it's not true. But I, I find broadly it's quite reliable on most things. And I, I think it's amazing that we've got this online encyclopedia, which is so... I mean, it's, it's right, we're not talking it covers about. everything. But anyway, Viz, tell us about Viz then, please. It's a um, comic book that I became aware of in the uh, maybe the mid to late 80s. Um, uh-huh. It's an adult's comic book. Well, it's a comic book that kids would read, whether they were supposed to or not. But it's, it's, They did, but no, it's not for kids. Let's be clear. It's for adults. It's, it's, it contains it's a lot very, of... very, very rude. But if you're completely honest, most people do see it when they're a kid. Right. Mm-hmm. Or a teenage, young, young uh, teenager, possibly. Mm-hmm. But they shouldn't because it's not for kids. It's um, very, very rude. But it's a very rude, but very, very funny uh, yep. British comic. Yep. And um, it's founded in 1979 as a zine, I believe, basically a homemade magazine. Okay. Uh, this guy started in his bedroom and rapidly did very well. And uh, by the mid-80s, it was selling something like a million per issue. 1.2 million in the early 90s, it says here. Can I just... And it was published, as a side note, by Felix Dennis, uh, who is a very interesting character, who we could do an episode on. I'd love to. As well. He's a poet and a uh, Publisher. publisher and famously worked with... Uh, I think a lot of 60s types. Uh, he also made and lost millions. He's He wrote books about how to get rich. He also blew all of his money on drugs at one point and then started again from scratch. So this is... This he is... made his money publishing Kung Fu magazines that came with a free Bruce Lee poster. He saw a gap in the market for Bruce Lee posters. Yeah. The Felix Dennis is the guy who published... Viz magazine. Viz That's comic. a big tangent. Yeah, but anyway. So it was a crude comic in the style, kind of in the style of the kids' comics we'd grown up with. Which were? Which were the Beano and the Dandy. You used to get the Beano. I used to get the Dandy. Yeah. And these were British comic books for kids that were published in the post-war period. And they continued to be published in the 80s and 90s when we read them. And, and they were always about gangs of kids getting into trouble. and But the, the punchline would always be them stealing an apple pie or getting a whacking from a newspaper on their ass by their mum. Mm-hmm. Or were, there was like stock endings to them all. Like, these were the comics. <clears throat> or getting a massive feed. That was the ultimate goal of all these comics was to get pie and mash or like uh, bangers and mash, a big plate piled up with food. food. Yeah, because so, it was post-war, but and the, that was the uh, the ultimate thing for a kid back then was lots of scran. So we're talking about the uh, comics that were uh, <sighs> the precursor to Viz. So, but th- these were kids' comics like the Beano and the Dandy. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. But Viz kind of copied that style. Yeah, but they did it in a in an adult way. Viz is a popular British adult comic magazine founded in 1979 by Chris Donald. It parodies British comics of the post-war period. 
notably the Beano, the Dan and the Dandy. But with vulgar language, toilet humour, black comedy, surreal humour and generally sexual or violent storylines. It also sends up tabloid newspapers with mockeries of articles and letters pages. It features parody competitions and advertisements for overpriced limited edition tat, which is kind of like, what is tat? Just junk. Tat is like the sort of decorative things you'd have in your house, but they're just worthless crap. So they they have like fake adverts for, for example, a decorative plate or something like that. Um, um, And it features... um, as well as obs- obsessions obs- obs- with half-forgotten kids, celebrities. Wait, 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 you said that too quickly. Say it again. As well as obsessions with half-forgotten kitsch celebrities from the 1960s to the 90s, 80s. Sign- oh, fucking hell. <laughs> Try Not again. as easy as it looks, is it? Go on. <clears throat> as well as obsessions with half-forgotten kitsch celebrities from the 1960s to the 1980s, such as Shakin Stevens and Rodney Bues. Occasionally, it satirises current events and politicians, but has no particular political standpoint. Okay, right, just uh, how do we get across to... It's got lot, some of the characters. So when it started, the characters were very crude. So instead of, like... There was always Johnny and his magic this in these comics. There was always something... Like Johnny and his magic trousers or something. Yeah, something like that. But in Viz, it was Buster Gonad and his, and his unfeasibly large testicles. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a character, and the, the thing about him is he had massive testicles. And he had to carry them around in a wheelbarrow. To, they're so big, he has to carry them around in a wheelbarrow. And he'd get into adventures every week where to save someone like somebody from a burning building, they'd jump down, land on his massive balls... <laughs> and escape to safety, and they'd all be thanking him at the end. So it's very immature. <laughs> totally it's really stupid. But because it was drawn, it was actually often the same artists mm-hmm. that drew for the Fizz, I mean, that drew for the Dandy and the Beano, that you'd get some laughs just out of seeing these sort of fairly stock characters <laughs> being <laughs> doing really rude stuff. And it was just childish fun okay so that's buster gonad and his unfeasibly large testicles who would often be the hero who'd save the day somehow using his massive balls what are some of the other viz characters that that uh i'm gonna look up viz characters because uh i'm you're struggling to think struggling we've got sid the sexist and we've got uh okay here's a here's a list of viz characters uh, there's Sid the sexist, who's a sexist and always ends up getting kicked in the bollocks. Well, Roger Melly, the man on the telly, who's basically um, what's his name? Terry Wogan. Kind of bit of Terry Wogan, but he's more um, Bill Grundy, Bill, a kind okay. of sleazy TV presenter who's always smoking and drinking and being sexist and he doesn't realize he's completely out of order so that's basically jeremy clarkson isn't it yeah a lot of jeremy clarkson in there uh there he is if you look at a picture of him you his catchphrase then... is hello good evening good evening and bollocks okay uh he's not my favorite character but I, I i don't i like him because i like his producer called tom tom's a sort of liberal uh glasses wearing guy with a ponytail and he's always going Come on, Tom, it's fine. The ratings will be through the roof. If we get enough custard in, it'll be fine. You know, mm-hmm. whatever. And Tom's, like, not into it. But it's, it's taking the piss out of... Billy the Fish. Is, wait a minute. That's a good character. Wait a minute. Roger Melly is basically making fun of cynical uh, television presenters, right? Yeah. And, and complete dodgy bastards. They're really basically. dodgy bastards, but they've got, like, this... They, they, they have an image on TV and... This not, cheesy smile and che- they... 
yeah. you know, they, they're just cheesy TV twats. The glamour of TV, but in the real world, they're horrible bastards. And they drink loads and gamble loads and stuff. Okay. There's Billy the Fish, who's taken the mick out of uh, Roy of the Rovers, which was in The Dandy, was it? Or Eagle, or one of these children's Eagle. Eagle. comics. But there's normally a story about, and there was also one called Billy's Boots, which was in Tiger. But these eyes to read, and yeah. that was a story. This is the original children's comics about a guy who found some magic football boots, and he could then play amazing level football. Okay, and sometimes there was drum with he'd lost the boots, or someone had stolen the boots, right. and he had to get the boots back. And then okay. the boots had shrunk in the wash, and the boots this, the boots that. Yeah. So that was they the- went on forever. That was the straight version. The Viz version was Billy the Fish. Who was a, uh, <laughs> a, a, a a champion footballer who was also a fish? <laughs> <laughs> so they they would spin these stories um, in the same style as these old fashioned. Yeah, well, it's just these ridiculous scenarios. And okay. um, can can I just ask you something? And it was his own world. I mean, they all live in a place called Fulchester. All of his characters, which oh, isn't really? actually a real place, but it's basically Newcastle. Yeah. And a bit of Manchester, maybe Fulchester. Okay. So Billy the Fish plays for Fulchester FC. Okay. Um, Roger Melly is on Fulchester uh, television. Okay. Can I ask you something? Is it just you that's fond of this comic? They're really, it's really popular. But the main thing people see say to me when they see it is that, oh, is Viz still going? Mm-hmm. And you're going, yeah, it's always going. So it's never stopped going. And yeah. they always go, I used to read that. Is, is it still funny? It's like, yeah, it's brilliant. It never stopped being funny. And the letters pages are very good. Okay. Which I've been published in three times. You've been you've been published in the letters pages three times. Yeah. Now James is going to try and remember what I his remember things them. were. So what? just tell us Let's, what the letters pages are. What's well, why the, don't you just print them underneath and people can make up their own... No, people need to know what the what the joke is about the letters. My pages. first letter was no, no, no. What's what is the point of the letters pages? What's the just to be as stupid as possible in as short a space as possible? It's a bit like Twittery, but but, but it's also pre before Twitter ever existed. But it's making fun of letters pages in newspapers and magazines where the uh, the readers can write in with comments. Yeah. About certain things. And usually in these letters pages in normal magazines or newspapers, uh, the comments are very, very sort of serious. And they're yeah. making a serious point about, about something. things that they're objecting to in life. Something they disagree with or something. They're making a very serious point about it. But the Viz letters pages are, they use the same tone. It's quite a serious point being made, but it's something completely ridiculous. But it does also reveal something kind of true as well. It's, it's hard to explain that. But, um, Gives gives an example of one of the things. Okay, one of the ones I got printed was um, well, I can, apparently the word dinosaur means terrible lizard. Seems a bit harsh to me because it seems like they were fucking amazing lizards. <laughs> Certainly better than the small crap ones you get these days. <laughs> right, so it's basically a little joke, isn't it? Because terrible uh, lizard is the Latin, I believe, for dinosaur. Is that right? Or yeah. dinosaur is terrible lizard in Latin, and. Uh, the joke there is that uh, terrible can also mean rubbish or crap, not can, very good. Can terrible be, can mean the old meaning of it is like scary or yeah, scary. In, they, they make you terrified. Yeah, yeah, but um, uh, but that you could also say terrible means really awful. Bad. Like that, you see that TV program last night it was terrible. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I was making a joke that terrible lizards isn't right. They sound like fucking brilliant lizards and. <laughs> They're certainly better than the crap small ones we get these days. 
Um, you got one in Viz uh, years ago, back in the 90s. Do you remember? Well, it was there was these old adverts for a, um, a beer by the makers of Guinness, I believe, mm-hmm. which was this very sort of weird kind of sweetish kind of bitter. Was it Caffrey's? Called Caffrey's. And I never liked it, but the adverts for Caffrey's was that the tagline or the catchphrase for Caffrey's was Caffrey's, strong words, softly spoken. And it was uh, sold to the English as this kind of Irish Authentic kind of Irish beer. It's authentic Irish beer. It but wasn't authentic, they just made it up. And it was a kind of slightly foamy... Swedish kind of ale, wasn't it? I don't know what the fuck it, it, it was. It might be based on a type of Irish beer. Well, know? maybe it is, but okay, whatever. But anyway, it, so it was Caffrey's. Strong words, softly spoken. Which is kind of weird. Strong words, softly spoken. So someone's strong words means you're swearing. Well, strong words could mean... I it's mean, kind of implying a threat. or Or something... Yeah, like what could... What was the average English consumer supposed to think those strong words were in that advert? It was probably like, you know, words of conviction, right? Because, like, the English might look at the Irish and see them as being poets or seeing them as people with a certain conviction, right? Now, this is just a cliche. and We're just talking about the advertising. Um, but anyway, so, my take on it was that they should have said uh, strong words shouted incoherently. Well, it was your thing was like, you know, did the makers of Caffrey's not... Have the makers of Caffrey's not been to an Irish pub recently. Maybe they should change their tagline to Caffrey's strong words shouted incoherently, which is funny because it, it, it's like a... Cause, it changes the meaning of the cause phrase because strong words softly spoken is one thing, but strong words shouted incoherently... Yeah. Is like, hey, you fucking... Hey, you fucking... You fucking fucker cocker. Oh, I think this you know, is dodgy territory. No, here. it's all right, because they're both stereotypes. The, the strong word softly spoken is a stereotype of Irish people. And also, the fucking strong words fucking... That's also a stereotype, too. Both I think which it's all right. are deeply unacceptable. Yeah. It's not okay to stereotype <laughs> the Irish. Um, another Viz character, Cockney Wanker. Cockney Wanker. Oh, wanker. If anyone's ever seen Only Fools and Horses, mm-hmm. Cockney Wanker's basically Del Boy, but a bit more realistic. Okay. Well, let, let me... Big Vern is one he of my He speaks favorites. rhyming slang and mm. spends his time drinking or selling stolen goods to passers-by from an East End market stall. Okay. He's a wanker. He's wanker a- often buys a car, sells it back to the same person for the same amount of money, and then declares the transaction to have been a nice little earner. Just making the fun of the... The trope of the Scottish, the Scottish, the trope of the Cockney. But they're always wheel, lovable Cockneys, lovable wheeler dealers. But he's basically an immoral bastard. Bastard, yeah. So they're kind of saying the lovable Cockney's actually a, a wanker. Yeah, uh, um, one of my favourites is Big Vern. He's brilliant. He's kind of uh, predictable. Well, what's what's the what's the? Um... He's a gangster. He's done a lot of time in prison, mm-hmm. and he's doing one last job and he's not going to let any bastard copper take him alive. Okay. The only thing is, it's not one last job. He's just gone to get ice cream with his daughter and his (laughs) brother-in-law. So wait, he's a gangster who's been in prison a lot of his life, and he is... He's not going to do another stretch. Wait, speak it, say it in plain English terms. He's not, he's not, he ain't going back to prison. He's not going to, he's determined not to be caught by the police again. And And he's doing one last job. Yeah. 
which is something gangsters, you know, say sometimes. Just one last job. But no bus or copper's going to take me alive. Okay, no, no, I'm not going to get so arrested by do, any police officer. Do or die. Okay. But what he ha- he's forgotten is that he's not doing one last job. He's just popped to get some milk from the corner shop. Okay. And so, for example, <laughs> let's say in the, in the one I remember is Big Vern goes, for a, um, goes to a cafe with a friend. Okay, and in Big Vern's mind, he's doing one last job, and he's determined not to be arrested. Well, he's not really. He's he knows he's going for tea. Okay, but, but he's uh, always in that mind frame. But he, and he, yeah, he's in that mind frame, and he's because he's a gangster. Uh, he's he, he's he's like um, he could explode at any moment. Yeah, and everything could go wrong, uh, and he could it could explode into violence, and he could get arrested at any time. So, for example, the they, he goes to. a cafe for a cup of tea with his friend and is is they get a cup of tea together and his friend has some sugar and he goes uh, oh we've got some sugar here do you want some and he and big fern goes you know uh what is it do, do i you, want some do i want some do i fucking want some yeah which uh can do you want some can be a threat of violence it can be like come on let's have a fight do you fucking want some can be uh fighting talk so his friend's like, oh, I've got some sugar. Do you want some? <laughs> Do I fucking want some? And then, uh, it, you know, it all goes. He gets go- out a gun, blows the guy's head off, and then he blows his own brains out. Right. <laughs> and that happens at the end of every single episode. Right. He ends up shooting everyone and then killing himself at the end. Yeah. Okay. It's pretty dark. Yeah. So, like, for instance, he'll be in, the, in a restaurant and um, the guy in front of him's going, oh, I've got loads of change here. Do you mind if I put this down on the counter? I've just got to get this note out. Yeah, the coppers are here. The coppers are here, you fucking grass. Bang, bang. The, the coppers are here. No mean, bastard coppers going to take me alive. But wait, explain the, explain the joke, if you would, please. Well, the coppers are here could mean the copper coins are on the table. Those are those brown coins. We call them coppers because they're made from copper. Or it could mean the police are here because police are known as coppers. Yeah. So he goes, don't worry, Vern, but the coppers are here. Anyway. The coppers are here, you grass, meaning... A, You'll just have to. There's well, loads of them on uh, online. A grass is someone who would uh, inform the police. Yes, right. So the, the in the post office, oh, the coppers are here. What you grass? And then he shoots the guy in the post office. It's probably not very funny explaining well, it like this. As ever, it? explaining a joke is like dissecting a frog. You can learn something from it, but the frog dies in the process. So we're just another example of that. And happening. they've had some new um, writers and artists in recently who do one called drunken bakers oh that's my favorite but it's so dark it's so dark it's just about these two alcoholic bakers that <laughs> live in a rundown bake bake shop what did you call it bakery bakery and they're just always drinking the cheapest booze they can get their hands on and not managing to fall over and it's terrible it's like they can they every now and then they could be asked to do some baking and they fuck it up and then yeah. One of them falls over and knocks himself out, or they have a fight. Yeah, and I, I've the one. It's I, just like a horrible descent into alcoholism. Really, the one there's I nothing read, funny about it. Uh, the, the the funny thing is is how how well um, portrayed, yeah, how efficient how, the portrayal is. Yeah, how well portrayed the characters are and the stories that are told, and it's it's pathos mostly. Yeah, I mean, you know, pathos is the other side of comedy. You know, you yeah, comedy tragedy. which is comedy which is sort of makes you laugh, but pathos 
kind of can make you feel sad but because they're both sides of the same coin sometimes the pathos it makes you makes you laugh yeah you know so it, it's just incredible it's more like a wince you may not read it and go ha 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 you might read it and go oh but there's a chuckle in your voice as well but it's it's because this portrayal of these two drunk bakers is so kind of real you know it's so believable yeah and sad that that these guys are, are so badly uh so far gone. addicted to alcohol that uh their lives are just ruined but i mean i don't know how they managed to keep the bakery going. <laughs> that's, the, that's the funny thing <laughs> <laughs> i mean they're, they're there's, there's another one called hen cabin which is on, kind of similar hold on a minute the thing about the drunk bakers is that these guys are just one step away from being on the street level <laughs> alcoholic on somehow the, they've still got this baker's homeless shop alcoholics they're that bad they're that drunk you know where they're drinking in the morning they're drinking the strongest alcohol they can find and they're really really like um uh out of control with their drinking but they somehow still have this bakery which they're running um and you you know they 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 often start a comic strip with the best of intentions that they're trying they've decided to bake a special kind of bread for the holiday season but then it, by the end of the comic strip it's all gone horribly the wrong the alcohol's kicked the in al- they, they just... they've started drinking and they are just on the floor complete disaster complete mess and it's not even funny drunk it's just like it's sad, horrible sad, horrible sad. The bad wor- drunk the worst kind of alcoholic um and they look really ill we need to move on to the next okay. item. Number okay, well, you can tell there's lots of stuff so, to read for so, Viz. So, I mean, look at the amount of characters here. He says, looking at the Wikipedia page. Um, so that was Viz, the comic book. I, I wonder how how this is going it's for everyone. It's going to be very hard to translate this one. It, it could be very difficult. This is like a maybe a, a bridge too far, this episode, where you'd listen to us, you're just going to have to trust us on this on this stuff. And even if you don't like it, just accept that it's funny to but us. But at least this is not just fish and chips and Mr. Bean. You yeah. know, it's it, we're scratching below the surface a little bit more here. And, and also, if, if, a lot of people find visible. I mean, I don't read it on the tube. Because it's quite offensive, isn't it? It can be. If someone looked over your shoulder, they could be a bit freaked out by it. It's quite shocking. Uh, It's some people, most people, I'd say the vast majority of people find it funny. But whether people would actually go into a shop and buy it, I don't know. But it's very, very edgy and quite disturbing humour. Yeah, and there's a lot of extremely foul language. But if that's your cup of tea, then, <laughs> then you will love, love it. I mean, we know that certain certain famous people... And the Viz annuals. Hold on. Yeah. We know that certain famous public figures loved Viz. Like David Bowie. David Bowie famously um, was photographed on a train reading a copy of Viz. And, and he put it in his top 10 or top 20 book lists of all time. He had a reading list that he published and, and Viz magazine... Viz, Viz magazine? Viz comic was in there. So David, if da- you know, David Bowie liked it, so... That and you can get um, Viz annuals, which are like a hardback book of the year's best Viz stuff. And I'd recommend you can get them on eBay real cheap, secondhand ones. Doesn't matter what the year is. Mm-hmm. Well, the the recent ones, if you want a bit of political. Actually, they're not political. That's the good thing about them as well. There's no politics in there, really. They do take the piss out of politics, but they're not like lefties if you know what i mean it's and not really not, a political agenda it's, i think they tr- they've tried to keep it non-political because mm. they could see how that could alienate people because it's popular with it's very popular with like posh rugby boy types mm-hmm. there is a certain class of like quite well-educated hooray henry if that's the right word yeah slightly posh lad 
yeah. this interferes. But also lots of very working class, not very hugely highly educated people are really into and it. And they make well. fun of working class people, middle class people, upper class people. They make fun of everyone. Yeah. Um, I mean, so, there's a good character called, well, yeah, we haven't got time. No. So all I'll say, listeners, is um, if you are in the UK and this sounds appealing to you, then have a look in the magazine uh, shop for Viz and you'll see it will look like a kid's magazine but it's not um, it's on the top shelf with the porn usually <laughs> yeah up up on the top shelf where they keep the porn the pornography anyway let's move on to number three something maybe a little more wholesome I don't know it wouldn't be difficult is there anything more wholesome in is there your anything list? less wholesome than Viz yeah Whole, wholesome meaning I can't remember of, what's next tell me wholesome meaning sort of uh, you know morally clean you could say uh, well, you the, we, we do the Harrington jacket. Have I got the energy for yeah, that? Yeah, let's we do that. Let's keep quick it one. snappy. The Harrington jacket. It's just something that popped into my head because I like the story behind it. There was a what is it? What's a Harrington jacket? It's a type jacket? of jacket. Okay, that I think was created in the UK. It was originally, um, and it became. It didn't really. It became named because Elvis wore one. Hold on. What? And also, okay, hang on. What does it look like? It's. A sports jacket, basically. Well, what does uh, that mean? Begbie wears one in train spying too. Okay. Uh, my dad wears one. <laughs> because you They're bought it kind of for him. Sort of fairly high-waisted sports jacket with kind of slightly squared off lapels at the top. Mm-hmm. And the lining? And the lining is tartan. Yeah. And it's got pockets, small pockets in the front. With little buttons. It's kind of a, a sports jacket, really. But what's a sports jacket? People are going to be thinking... Just look at the fucking picture. <laughs> <laughs> we're supposed I've got to time be, for wait, this. We're supposed to be putting this stuff into words. That's what this is all about. So it's just a- look at the fucking picture. <laughs> or just Google it. Sorry, that's that's not really the point. Well, I've said enough, Okay. It's a, it's a fairly short uh, yeah. jacket, yes. but it, it's we've, a casual sort of jacket. Yes, but, it's a casual jacket. But you might find them in, in, you know, it's a kind of a style of jacket that you would find in lots of shops, you know, including... Yeah, they're very, very popular, and they're not copyrighted by a certain company. Okay. Everyone makes their own version. You can buy very cheap versions in Camden Market for about 40 quid, okay. or you can buy very expensive ones for about 300 quid mm-hmm. or more if you want to. Okay. Um, they're basically they were named the. This is what the, I find interesting about them. They were named the Harrington because people started asking for a jacket that looked like the one a character called Rodney Harrington used to wear in Peyton Place, which was an American soap opera that was shown in the UK. Apparently, this is all before my time, mm. and people used to ask for a Rodney Harrington jacket, and it became the official name of the jacket to just become the Harrington jacket. Yeah. And everyone now calls it a Harrington jacket. It's like very cool jacket, actually. I think they're a bit, little bit, um, what's his name? Uh, Mark Kermode. Mark Kermode West. He's not that cool, but yeah, he's he pretty cool. He's cool. I like him. Me too. Um, what's his name? Bullet. Steve McQueen Steve used McQueen. to wear one, I'm sure. Velvis used to wear one. Velvis. Velvis. Elvis. <laughs> Elvis. And they also- were very popular with skinheads and... Um, Mods and that. If you think of James Dean, like a, an image of James Dean looking extremely cool, he might be wearing a Harrington but jacket. But I have a feeling that they're probably kind of a bit of Italian styling in there. Well, they're, apparently Italian. they're a golf... Yeah. They're a golf jacket. Originally it was designed as a golfing uh, jacket, but then it was... Somehow it Barracuda, apparently, according to what we read earlier, made the first one, but I don't mm. know if that's true. 
but um, so posit history. So first designed in the UK in like the 30s as a golfing uh, jacket, a casual sort of uh, short golfing jacket. Was it the 30s that early? Yeah, later than that. Yeah, no, it's 33. Are you sure. Let me check what I saw before. But anyway, lots of... Hold on a minute. Don't just anyway me when I'm in the middle of something. Um, you wanted to know when it was first designed. I was going to fill in while you were looking Hold at on. it. Hold on. I'm quick. It was claimed to be made in the 30s by British clothing company Barracuda. The Rodney Harrington name wouldn't have come until yeah. the 50s. Yes. So the jacket, designed in the UK originally, made its way to the USA. And then, then it found its way into American films. So James Dean is seen wearing them. Yeah, um, Rodney Harrington. Rodney Harrington in that show, Peyton Place, yeah. but also Steve McQueen, as you mentioned. Yeah. Elvis. Yeah. In uh, which film was it? Um, Don't know. All right. <laughs> uh, it doesn't matter. I, I well, that's many... it. Let's, let's call it. You can get them but, in different colours. They but, look cool. But, but that's not the end of the story because um, they also became part of the mod style, which is a quintessentially English thing. Yes. It mod. Is. I mean, I've done an episode about mods before with uh, comedian Ian Moore, who is a mod. He wears the full-on mod clothing at all times. Yeah. And uh, so the Harrington jacket is part of that mod look. It's a sort of more casual mod look. It's a timeless classic. It's a timeless classic It's a timeless jacket. modern classic. And you bought one for Dad because you thought that... He I thought would... it would suit him for some reason. And it does, doesn't and it? it suits him brilliantly. Yeah. So you bought... It suits a... some people's body shape quite well. It's, it, you bought him a black one with a sort of red uh, tartan lining. Yeah. And he was apparently, he was on a train at one point, sometime, and he was standing there with his Harrington jacket on, bought for him by you. And some girls came up to him, some kind of like young girls came up to him and said, we really like your jacket. You look really cool. They actually did that. <laughs> I know. You know about I, that? Yeah. <laughs> you should probably bring him in and to, to tell the story. Well, there you go. Okay, let's let's let's, let's crack do. on. Let's crack on, shall we, James? We're not using that word ever again. <laughs> no, we are because this is what people say. My listeners need to know this. Let's stuff. get on with it, shall we? All right. Point four. Then, what's your what's your fourth British thing? Oh, you're going to ask me to remind you what it is now, aren't you? You got two other things. What are those other things? Jake that, Arnott was one. Jake of them? Arnott uh, books by Jake Arnott. Okay. Um, yeah, who's an author? Fairly. I don't know why I chose him. Jake Arnott. That's not like an, a grammatically incorrect sentence. Jake Arnott. Jake is not. No, it's um, his name. He's a British novelist from like now. <laughs> from now, <laughs> a current British <laughs> current novelist. British novelist, and he just wrote some books that are like that were quite British or English. Can I just spell the name for everyone? Jake J A K E Arnott. A-R-N-O-T-T, Jake Arnott. Okay, so, British novelist who... And he writes oh, gangster books, but they're good good ones, though. Gangster they're books. fictionalised versions of people. Maybe so he's incorporated some real real characters and kind of fictionalised them. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, the, probably the best one is The Long Firm. Mm-hmm. There is a couple of TV ap- adaptations of this, I think. Okay. But I wouldn't bother because they're distracting. I prefer the book. Yeah, the books are really good. The Long Firm, He Kills Coppers. I think of the two ones I've read. Yeah, they're the, probably the best two. Okay. Um, Cause, cause, so what did, you The know? Long Firm is about Harry Stark, who I think is based on these Cray twins. Famous East End gangsters from the I 1960s. Think. There was a, There was a film... Uh, made about them starring although what's his name tom hardy 
Yes, Tom Hardy, exactly. Yeah, but this is... I actually got that wrong. But anyway... It's not but, about the Cray but, twins, It's but it's during that period. The point is that you mentioned the Cray twins, and my listeners might not know who the Cray twins are, unless they realise that Tom Hardy played both of the Cray twins in a recent film. I can't remember the name of it. But anyway, this uh, book, The Long Firm, written by Jay Carnot, is about uh, a gangster who's similar to the Cray twins at the same period in the 1960s. And I wouldn't normally read books about gangsters because that's a bit crap. But it's just these books are so well written. The Long Firm's really good. What, what, what do you like about it? Why are it's, they good? It, it puts you in the person's place quite well. Some people, when they're writing, you're very aware of the writing. And sometimes it feels a bit clunky. Sometimes you can feel the author's hand in there a bit too much. Other writers. Yeah. But this. But with this, uh, I felt the writing fitted the characters very well. It never felt like they were tra- he was trying too hard. Mm-hmm. It felt like it was flowing. Quite naturally. Naturally. Uh, his use of, it sounds weird in a book, but his use of music is very good. His references to his the references music. to music and the right, you can, you can just, pick, it's like, you can picture the scene in your head because you can see, you can hear the music. You know where he's talking about. If you know London, you know the street he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Possibly, it's it's just very well made fiction, and yeah. it's not overly ambitious. He's not trying to rewrite his. You know what am I trying to say? He's not trying to talk about the meaning of life. No, not necessarily. And it's uh, it's just just gets it just right, really. Okay, but it's very very good pulp. Um, fiction genre crime fiction yeah. so if we go back to the original the first book that he published in 1999 the long firm yeah you get these cast of different characters and the story is told from the points of view of these different characters and, and that some of them are real people like jack the hack mcvitty who was a real gangster who mm-hmm. um was around at that time in the uh, 60s and he's he's a real guy and Jake Arnott has taken his story and the facts and woven fiction around that and tried to work out what this guy might have been like based on what he know, knew about him. Mm-hmm. And I won't say too much, but the Jack the Hats, each character has their own chapter in The Long Firm. So there'd be a chapter written from the point of view of everyone around the main character, Harry Starks. Mm. And I think Harry gets his own chapter, but I'm not entirely sure. But they're all people that associate with him. Mm. One of them's a showgirl who's basically Barbara Windsor. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Who was a famous film star in, in the UK and England in the 60s. Ended up in EastEnders, the soap opera. Yep. And, but the Jack the Hat episode is very, very good. The uh, uh, chapter, sorry, Jack the Hat chapter. Yeah, and uh, the thing I like about it is that it's kind of yeah these these gangster tales in London in the sixties, but we also get a bit of history in there in the way that you get the sense that the culture is changing at the time, and yeah. it it goes from the sort of mid sixties through to the late sixties, and and so you get that sort of like the uh, the the whole kind of psychedelic era coming in, and uh, like hippies and. And that, you know, yeah, it's just an interesting it's, it's little... Interesting slice of time and place. Yeah. And the second book is set slightly after that. And mm-hmm. the third book is set slightly after that in the 70s. So yeah. you can read the first three or four... Well, the first three books, three or four books, kind of as a as a, as a group. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so if you, that sounds like the kind of thing you might like. Yeah, well, there you go. Some book recommendations. And I do recommend reading The Long Firm, certainly. Give it a try. And He Kills Coppers is, I think, just as good. And um, that's the second one. So check out Jake Arnott, if that sounds like your cup of tea. If you want to read a sort of crime, a series of crime stories set in um, London. in London in the 60s, then check out The Long Firm by Jake Arnott. I can't remember what my last thing was. It's The Fast Show. <laughs> so the f- your fifth thing, Excellent. James, your fifth thing my is... My fifth thing is a comedy series called The Fast Show. When was The Fast Show on television in the UK? The 90s. Yes. And what is... Basically all of the 90s, wasn't it? No. It started in 1996. 94. 1994. Okay. Yeah, you're right. It started in 1994. The Fast Show. So... Written by and performed by Paul Whitehouse, Charlie Higson, Simon Day, Mark Williams, John Thompson, Arabella Weir and Carolina Hearn. So a group, this group, along of, with other cast members, this group of British comedians, funny people. And Paul Whitehouse used to write for a guy called Harry Enfield and mm-hmm. perform with him. So did Charlie Hickson. So did Charlie Hickson. Charlie uh, Harry Enfield was very, very popular character comic in the eighties and early nineties, and he did lots of characters that became common. Sort of household. Enter, entered the popular consciousness and became household names, mm-hmm. uh, satirizing the times. Satirizing quite, certain, quite bluntly. It wasn't exactly subtle humour, Harry s- Enfield. Satirizing but certain types of person that you certain might types need. of people. So you'd get uh, loads of money. Who was a yuppie who had loads of money and he used to just basically brag and he was an obnoxious. Oh, I've got loads of money. And it was satirising the kind of East End type of geezers that went into work in the city in the 80s and some of them got lots of money mm-hmm. and a kind of new rich of that time. But they were horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, okay. the teenager character, Mark uh, Kevin the teenager, yeah. who was basically me when I was a teenager. When you were a teenager, even after you were a teenager, you know, like, like, uh, Kevin, I hate you, which is Kevin the teenager. I mean, you know, it's, (laughs) you weren't as bad as that. Nearly. Usually. Anyway, so those, some of those writers and some of their friends got together and started a thing called The Fast Show, which was, the idea was it would be very fast paced. They often thought that sketches went on too long and had too much set up and they had to work around to some sort of inevitable punchline. Mm-hmm. Um, and they thought the whole thing was a bit contrived and you wasted a lot of time setting things up and then kind of breaking them down again and mm-hmm. for a punchline at the end. And it would be much more fun to have recurring characters that you could introduce. They do the funny bit and then they get off without the need for the whole structure of here's a shop. Here's a man walking into the shop, you know. Mm-hmm. So you could just cut straight to the funny stuff. I think that was their idea. And what happened as a result is that you got all of these reter- recurring characters, as you said, and each recurring character had their catchphrase. I think it was actually quite inspired by Viz, if I'm honest. I mean, it's got to be, right? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, Viz has been going for many, many years. Yeah. Um, and although it's a comic book, so it's kind of alternative and a bit underground in a way um and so yeah i'm sure that viz has been very influential 
But these guys, um, they were just brilliant actors, a lot of them, which was really a big part of it. You'd believe in them. And uh, they all they had, their, had their catchphrases. They all had their own catchphrases. And, and these catchphrases sort of... Um, it became part of the popular vernacular. Like people started using these catchphrases yeah. in everyday and life. There were certain archetypes, mm-hmm. um, which were kind of type of people that you everyone would recognise. Like the guy, you go up to the pub and you're about to sit down, and someone goes, "Someone's sitting there, mate." Yeah, so that's one of them. Someone's sitting there, mate. Someone is sitting there, mate. Someone's sitting there, mate. So it's when you go to sit down somewhere, and there's always some geezer who's like, "Someone's sitting there, mate." And so there's one sketch where... And his catch, another catchphrase is hold the bells, which is when someone's playing the uh, fruit machine. The gambling He's machine. kind of backseat driving. Wait, when someone is playing the gambling machine in the pub, because pubs always used to have these gambling machines where you have to press the buttons. Fruit um, machine. A fruit machine. And the things spin round and you're trying to get three lemons or something in order to get the money. And there's always some geezer in the pub who's an expert on the fruit machine, <laughs> although he's never playing it. He's just hanging around, and when you start playing it, or someone, he's like, oh, all right, mate, no, I'll tell you what you need to do. Hold the bells. Like, uh, hold the... <laughs> it's very hard to explain, but he's always like... The symbol of, would be of a bell. Yeah. And his idea would always hold the bells, you know, like the, the winning strategy. Yeah, he's always trying to give you the winning strategy, and he's like, hold on, mate, and he takes over, and he does this, and he always loses the person their money. That's the joke. Yeah, and he'd have a lot to say, and he'd be a real geezer, and just hilarious, because he was... <laughs> Just a very believable character. Very that typical. Everyone's seen. Yeah. Hold the bells, mate. Go on. Hold them two bells. Go on. Let's just start. Just going to pay out a mint here. Right. Exchange that for the nudge. Come out of the way. That third one drops right in. £3.20. Oh, and come in. That's weird. Why the win there? Two quid. Yeah, it should have paid out, especially after the cherry sequence. Well, it didn't. Don't blame me, mate. I'm only trying to help blame an hard leisure. They're making all the dough, aren't they, eh? <laughs> Oi, mate. One of the black in this pub. Oi, mate. Hold the bells. No, hold the bells. And they got the, the clothing right as well. They yeah. showed a good attention to detail. And good. And it wasn't like mocking these people. It was almost affectionate in a way because they were so spot on. Mm-hmm. It's like you knew the guy had been in the pub with this guy to get it that accurate. Yeah, yeah. And there's some of them were just really stupid, like this guy called Bob Fleming, who was a nature TV presenter, and he'd be presenting his like nature program in this sort of like voice, and then <coughs> he just like like <coughs> get a slight cough in his throat, and he goes, "Sorry, don't mind. Sorry about my cough. Uh, I'll carry on. <laughs> Shall we do that again, Dave?" And then uh, he just. We'd carry on coughing. You just, have a, you'd just have a you'd just have a coughing fit. But the funny thing is that you'd you'd be wait, you'd wait you'd be waiting for when the coughing fit would begin. So uh, you know what was the show called? Uh, Country Matters. Country Matters. Welcome to Country Matters with Bob Fleming. <clears throat> Today we'll be looking at the ancient craft of barrel making, <clears throat> and then <laughs> he just like start coughing more and more until eventually he broke down into a full on and his voice was that kind of crackly voice you kind of crackly country voice (laughs) (laughs) and then like he'd start coughing a little bit and then eventually he'd just be going (coughs) 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 for some reason it was very funny watching he wouldn't really think that that was that weird he was like carry on yeah I think I might have coughed a bit during that Fred shall we uh, do we need to retake that or should we be alright you know just pretty basic but very 
very funny and sweet. Like the characters were cute and yeah, they were cute, adorable. We weren't laughing at them because you liked them. Yeah, and there's just so many of these characters. Like, what are the, some of the catchphrases? That Chris you the think? Crafty Cockney. Chris the Crafty Cockney. He was, was like, another geezer. I'm a little he bit was like, He's a geezer, a little bit way, a little bit way. I will nick wait. it. <laughs> I'm a little bit wee, a little bit wee. I'm you know dodgy. what I mean? I'm a geezer, I'll nick it. So there's a scene where there's like a, a, a middle class, uh, quite posh woman in the train station. The thing is with Chris, the crafty cockney, he's an incredibly honest thief. Yes. So he'll go, oh, you don't leave me around an empty uh, unlocked door, mate. I'll be writing. <laughs> Have your TV away in no time. You do not want to trust me, mate. I'm dodgy. I'm a geezer. I'm a I'll nick, I will nick it. I am a criminal. I'm a thief. <laughs> I'll steal it. So the thing is that so there's a he's in the there's a quite a posh woman in a train station and um, she's got her luggage and uh, she's like checking the times of the trains and she needs to do something. She needs to quickly go and get her daughter from the toilet or something. Yeah, something and like she says, um, excuse me, would you mind just keeping an eye on my luggage? Like, oh, ha- you don't Wait a minute. To- I have to go and get my daughter from yeah. the toilet. And the, and the character goes, oh, you, you don't want to leave me with your luggage, darling, because I'm a thief, right? I'm a geezer. I'm a little bit wee. I'm a little bit woo. I'll just nick them. I'm I'll, dodgy. I'm dodgy. I'll steal them. And she's like, ha, ha, ha. No, well, if you don't like, oh, mind. Oh, you're so funny. If you don't mind. He's like, you don't understand, darling. I'm a thief. I'll steal them. <laughs> And I'm a bit wee, I'm a bit woo. That became a famous, he's a little bit wee, he's a little bit woo. Yeah, that was one of them. Yeah. Excuse me, listen, you couldn't give me... Excuse me, excuse me. Listen, um, you couldn't watch my bags for a second, could you? It's just that my little girl's desperate to go to the lavatory and I, I can't manage it with the bags. <laughs> You're having a laugh, darling. Eh? You couldn't trust me with them, girl. I'll just nick them. <laughs> no, I will, I will nick them. I'm a little bit dodgy, you know what I mean? I'm a bit... <laughs> you know, a bit fly. No, look, I'm a geezer. Um, I'm a geezer, I will nick them. I'll nick anything. I there's just loads and loads of these characters and they were they were almost all of them were fantastic competitive dad competitive dad was was one of those ones that was a little bit uh uncomfortable because it was so real yeah so basically competitive dad was a posh father who uh would be playing some kind of game or maybe a sport with his children but he would always try and beat his children he 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 was so competitive that he would always win in whatever he was playing with his children so he's playing like football with his son in the park come along toby now come along now toby we'll place the goalposts over here and uh, you can be the goalkeeper and I'll, let's practice penalties okay and he puts the ball down and he tries his absolute best to score a goal against Toby every time. And, and the ball, you know, he scores a goal. And, and he again, hammers the ball home, like, as really hard, hard as possible. The Toby's, like, trying to get the ball, just doesn't, can't get anywhere near it. Because he's nine. And then the dad's going, yes! <laughs> so that's competitive dad. The fat, sweaty coppers. Yeah, fat, Which sw- is like a TV show, like, there's one called The Bill, or everyone's seen cop TV shows, but they're just ridiculously fat and sweaty. And, and they're in the car just eating mounds of cake and pies and lager. Yeah. And there's what, you know. Which the, is funny because it's true. The funny one, the funny one is that these two fat coppers are banging on the door of a shop. Come on, Nicky. Come on, Nicky. We know you're in there. Don't be a fool, Nicky. Slamming on the door. And then it, it, it pans back and you realize that they're slamming on the door of a kebab shop, of a kebab shop uh, which 
is closed and they just want to have kebabs, you know. Um, yeah, another it's, one was... I'll get me coat. I'll get me coat. I'll That's get my coat. Just this Brummy guy that would walk into any situation and say the worst thing possible. Everyone would just stare at him and he'd just go, I'll get me coat. I'll get my coat. Meaning mean, I'm going to leave now. Yeah. Um, and I that mean, would take about five seconds as one of those sketches. I can't think of an example of it, I'll get me coat. But I'll get my coat just meant, just became a catchphrase for I've said an inappropriate thing and yeah. I will, I'm will. i going to leave now. Or it just means I've acknowledged that I've said something inappropriate. I'll, I'll get me coat. There was Roly Birkin QC. Yeah. Who was an incredibly posh or sort of Etonian, I don't know, what would you call it? Public schooly, Yeah. But really, really old guy. Like probably an aristocrat. Arist- yeah, uh, beyond posh. Yeah. Um, aristocratic old guy sitting in a country club. Sitting with a, like in, really heavily boozed face. Sitting in a leather armchair next to a fire in with a probably... a glass of whiskey. Probably in some gentleman's club with a glass of brandy. And no he's doubt, one of those people, to- they do exist who are so incredibly posh that you can't actually understand a word they're saying, and it just turns into just noise. (laughs) And she had incredibly long arms. Like maybe an ex-judge. Yeah. Well, he is an ex-judge. He's a QC. Yeah. So Yeah, yeah, my cousin's a QC. So he'll be like, you'll only hear one in ten words he says. So 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 the thing is, like, so the, the camera pans towards him. Slowly. Slowly. And it's just this old drunk man with a red nose. He's very, very posh, sitting in a leather armchair in a very, very posh gentleman's club next to the fire. And he's just talking, you know, just talking. Maybe there's some other, someone else there in, a, in another armchair. But um, he's just, you know, talking and making no sense at all. And you can't understand anything he says except some little words that come out or some phrases that come out. So he's going, you know, and I was, uh, and I, I was very badly burned, and and um, you know, I smacked my forehead on the mantelpiece, and she was, she had incredibly long arms, <laughs> and then at the end of every story, he goes, well, you know, of course, I was very very drunk that's the end of every story he tells and that became a catchphrase as well of like i was very very who who was a big fan of that character johnny depp (laughs) (laughs) but i i remember the time there was a firework display in the village it was quite frightening, you know, bang, crash, whoosh, fizz. Uh, I, I wonder how they actually do that. But anyway, uh, it was quite serious. It was hard. One girl was very badly burned. Uh, I, that's why it was like this. And I was called on in my capacity as and I cracked my head very sharply off a piece of furniture. I'm afraid I was very, very drunk. Yeah, Johnny Depp's a huge fast show, and he's in. He was in one episode. He was in an episode of the Fast Show with the two tailors. Yeah, the the two tailors are good. The tailors, people who make suits. Oh, and they basically taking a young lady out tonight, sir. So the thing. Wait, the thing about the tailors, they were suit you, suits you. Oh, 
oh, suit you, sir. So um, a, a man would walk into a very posh tailor's to get a suit, a new suit. And the tailors would, would turn up and they'd go, oh, looking for a suit, are we, sir? Oh, suit you, sir. A f- nice new suit. Oh, and they um, they just become more and more uh, suggestive and their innuendos, you know, like, I could just see you, sir, in a nice new suit. Oh, suit you, sir. But it then went are beyond you, in, in and innuendo it'd be like, and are it you... became overt. Good morning, sir. How are we today, sir? Oh, fine, thanks. How are you? Radiant, sir. Radiant. Good. What can I do for you, sir? Uh, I want a sort of summer suit, something light, you know. Oh, summer suit, sir. Oh, suit you, sir. Ken, summer suit, easy drop. Easy drop, is it? Easy drop, Ken. Suit you, sir. Oh, <laughs> sir will look the bee's knees in a summer suit. Oh, picture you now, sir, strolling through the park, your cream suit, fresh, crisp, flowing beautifully as you push your lady wife up against a tree and give her a jolly good seeing to. Suit you. What did you say then? Give her a jolly good seeing to, sir. Taking the piss? There's no problem, Kenneth. Yeah, there is a problem. Why, sir? Doesn't the lady want it, sir? Doesn't she want it, sir? Have you tried tying her up, sir? Suit you. Get me the manager. I want to see the manager. You want the manager, do you, madam? Yes, I do. You want me to lose my job, do you? I don't care. Very well, then. Mr Hobson? Madam's done it now, madam. Fine. Can I help? Are you the manager? Yes. This man insulted me. Was it done with any style? He made an obscene suggestion regarding me and my husband. I see. Wasn't there by any chance a tree involved? There was, as a matter of fact. I see. This isn't the first time this has happened. Did you make these suggestions, Kenneth? Afraid I did, sir. Yeah, then laughing, boy, is she said I'd tie her up. Tie her up, sir? Yeah. Tie her up. Oh, suits you. I think we should just put the videos on. I think so. Swiss Tony. Who isn't actually Swiss. That's the thing about Swiss Tony. There's nothing Swiss about him. So uh, let's talk about Swiss Tony and then we'll finish. Swiss Tony's the master of the... uh, Advice. He's giving advice. Not allegory. The simile. No, no. The uh, simile. Like. It's like. It's a simile. So he uh, runs a uh, second-hand car dealership. So he sells... Tony. He's sell- quite successful. He's got a big haircut and a big suit. He, we- he sells second-hand and cars. And he talks like that. And he goes, Paul. So Paul is... I see ca- you're uh, washing down one of the new cars there, Paul. Let me tell you, Paul, washing a car is very much like making love to a beautiful woman. Yeah. First, you've got to soap her up. <laughs> then you've got to apply a layer of lacquer. <laughs> And then it starts out of things that would possibly be innuendos or similes, and then it gets a bit ridiculous. And so, he always takes it too far, and then he he becomes, he's kind of stuck in a rut. He can't say anything else, but I see you're uh, making a podcast there, Luke. So the thing Let is- me tell you something. Making a podcast is very much like making love to a beautiful woman. First, you've got to do the groundwork. Then you've got to do your research. <laughs> then you've got to open up with some light chat, then get down to it. <laughs> See, it works for anything. Don't spend too long at the beginning, Luke. <laughs> Try and get straight to the point if you can. So the thing is with Swiss Tony is that everything is like having sex with a beautiful... Making love. It's like making to love to a beautiful... Woman. Absolutely everything. So, but it I works s- for anything. I see you're painting the wall there, Luke. Let me tell you, painting a wall is very much like making love to a beautiful woman. First, you've got to choose your colour. <laughs> then you've got to, you know, get your dip, instrument dip wet. Dip your brush. Make sure that your instrument is wet before you start, you know. And it's very crude, but the funny thing is he's such a likeable, stupid character. And eventually he starts to break down and he starts to realise that he's 
going crazy. And he realizes, <laughs> wait a minute, not everything is like having making love to a beautiful woman. But it's it's also the voice. He's it's very the smooth. Voice. It's the voice. So he, he goes up to Paul, who is the the, the young the guy, trainee. the young trainee who's working at his car dealership, and you know. Paul is trying to clean one of the cars, and he comes over and he goes, I see that you're uh, cleaning a car, Paul. Cleaning a car, Paul, is a lot like making love to a beautiful woman. First, you've got to make sure that it's fully moisturized or, you know, you've got to, you've got to be prepared to do some extra work at the beginning. You know, like that, that sort of thing. Don't forget to, dr- you know, to... Uh, to dry off afterwards with a towel. Yeah. <laughs> It's wide open for like you could do that character forever. Yeah, and still find it. Funny. I mean, it's a bit old fashioned, a little bit. It is some of it. You I think you wouldn't do now. You wouldn't get that sort of thing now. Like 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 a uh, an affectionate uh, misogynist. You know, you, that wouldn't happen now. No, misogyny is there's no there's no there's no place. room for an, for affection in misogyny. There's no room for affection in in uh, the portrayal of a of a misogynist uh, now. But uh, and and maybe they, rightly so. But anyway, it was an interesting and funny character, and there were so many of these characters, and they all had memorable catch li- catchphrases. Do I find you reading a book, Paul? <laughs> yeah, sorry, Swiss. There were no customers, and well, it's a guidebook. I'm going camping at the weekend. Putting up a tent is very much like making love to a beautiful woman. <laughs> Unzip the door, put up your pole, and. Slip into the old bag. We have to stop now, James. We have to. We have to. Stopping a podcast, James, is a long Very much like making love to a beautiful woman. You've got to know when when enough is enough. (laughs) Don't go on too long. You've got to wind things up before the snoring starts. (laughs) When when the other half is asleep, you've got to know when to stop. That sort of thing. Um, there was Arabella Weir and yeah. what's her name? Um, Carolina, Carolina Hearn. Hearn. Yeah, but anyway, the, the the main the two main guys in it were Paul Whitehouse and Charlie Higson, and and Paul Whitehouse is an amazing uh, comedian. And yeah, Johnny Depp at one point said that Paul Whitehouse was his favourite actor in the world. And this is, I mean, Johnny Depp these days is again not. Has he been cancelled yet? He's so, uh, sort of been cancelled. He's not as good as he used to be. He seems to be sort of in uh, having a hard time. Uh, maybe he drinks too much. I don't know. But he's not what he used to be, Johnny Depp. But there was a period when Johnny Depp was the coolest and greatest uh, actor in Hollywood before he did the Pirates of the Caribbean films. Um, and, um, you know, he was the benchmark of, of taste and, and class and, and cool. And he he said the Fast Show was his favourite show, and that Paul Whitehouse was his favourite actor. Okay, James, thank you for telling us about these five right. British or English Jesus, things. What, what time are we on? <laughs> One and a half hours. An of hour this. and twenty six minutes. I'll be editing some bits out. But thank you for talking to us, ladies and gents. I well, we just hope that this has been of some value to you as Maybe ever. One out of five, you might like. Yeah, that's right. That's Let's all ju- we can hope. Remember, all we all we hoped for was a hmm, hmm. yeah. <laughs> So we, I hope we've achieved a hmm or a hmm. And maybe one person out there has gone, hmm, I'll check uh, out the fast not. show. Uh. What? Nim, 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 nim. That's creepy. The way you do the false, the, the twiddling the invisible moustache, I find is a bit weird. Okay. Well, maybe. I think we just aim for a hmm. hmm. Okay. Hmm. Well, that's a sort of non-committal one. How hmm. would they write that in the comment section? Hmm. 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 I think H apostrophe M M M M M M. H apostrophe M M, just two M's. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. No, that's a, that, I think the longer the M, 
Hmm. The, the more number of M's, the more interesting. Hmm. So if you think this was crap, just don't write anything. Thank you, James, for talking to us uh, another late evening, late night. Okay. Well, I just have to say one thing. Bono Estende. <coughs> oh, there you go again. Another that was thing a that Channel they, 9 thing. What does that even mean? It's from the Fast Show. It doesn't mean anything. It's just one of those things, a catchphrase from the Fast Show that none of them will know. What's another catchphrase? Oh, uh, one last Booker. thing for me to say. You ain't seen me, right? You ain't seen me, right? Another thing from the Fast Show that they won't know. Like, please end on something that they will at least understand so they can feel kind of good about themselves. All right, thanks for listening. <coughs> good night. It's, it might not be the night. It might be the morning. Oh, you're always flipping saying that. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Have a good time. Hope you are relatively happy. So there you go, plenty of stuff to check out, including interviews with Alan Moore, Viz Comics, which you can get from the local shop if you're in the UK, The Fast Show with some videos online, books by Jake Arnott. Um, all that remains to be said uh, here is thanks to James for appearing in another episode. Uh, the next one is going to be with my dad, and he's picked three quintessentially British things. Then my mum will be on the podcast with her three choices. Thank you as ever for listening, and I'll speak to you again on the podcast soon. But for now, it's just time to say goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.